Okay, much better. Hi. <laughs> nice to see you. <clears throat> uh, the last time I was here was uh, at the uh, grand opening uh, in uh, January. <clears throat> Didn't have a grand opening uh, signs I saw, but I was glad to be here for it. And uh, it's wonderful to see you again and to... Uh, See how organized you are, too. Very impressive. I have to come back to Berkeley and let people know how together you are in Palo Alto. <laughs> Redwood City, excuse me. Uh, wait a second. Let's get some water here. Hmm? <laughs> All in illusion. Okay. <laughs> it looks good, anyway. So... Um, I ended the sitting a few minutes before the 45-minute mark just so I'd have a, a chance to say some words to you and, uh, and have a chance to um, hopefully have some time for discussion. Um, and what I uh, want, wanted to talk about tonight is uh, an aspect of practice uh, that I find really uh, helpful to uh, to understand in, in what we're doing, and that is a, a process of learning to open to experience, and in particular, one or two uh, qualities of opening, opening the heart and the mind to what's true. This goes against the grain of the habitual habit of closing in relationship to experience, uh, which is what most of the time most people are doing. If there is an unpleasant experience, then uh, the typical response is to contract away from, protect ourselves from the experience, or else strike out uh, in uh, ill will or aversion. Quite natural and understandable. We don't want to be hurt. We don't want to experience unpleasantness. If the moment happens to be a pleasant one, yum, uh, the typical response that we have, unless we train our minds and, and our hearts, is to close around the experience and want to possess it. Feels good. Tastes good. And we like it and typically want to have more of it. So those two responses in relationship to pleasant or unpleasant are being conditioned most of the time. And if you think over terms of more than one lifetime. We've been practicing it for, for quite a long time and uh, know those responses quite well. When we come to meditation practice, we are really going against the grain of that typical response, and that is to learn to open to experience so that when there is an unpleasant moment, rather than recoiling, there's the courage and the faith and the willingness to 
not protect ourselves so much that we don't see what's, what's clear and what's here. Because in that contraction, it's hard to see clearly, isn't it? So it takes some courage and faith to open enough to accurately know what's going on and to respond wisely rather than reacting out of confusion or fear. And when things are going really sweetly and deliciously, particularly as we see how futile it is to hold on to changing experience, there's more of a willingness not only to open up and take it in, but to open up and allow for it to move as it does and change when it does. So this is quite a radical response to our lives. I want to talk particularly about one quality of heart that I find quite important as we do our meditation practice in learning to open. That is a prelude to loving-kindness practice, and perhaps we can get into some loving-kindness, some metta practice as well. The quality I, I particularly want to focus on, maybe there'll be time for others, I don't know, but um, the one that I uh, that really comes to mind is the quality of forgiveness, which is such an important quality for our own peace of mind, for our own healing, and also something that the world is crying out for as we are sorting out how to deal with all the confusion and ill will and righteous indignation and hatred and sadness and fear outside of ourselves and inside as well. Before we can truly bring a heart of loving kindness to ourselves and to others, we need to learn this quality of forgiveness. Forgiveness is the antidote to the complaining mind, the complaining heart that says, it shouldn't be this way, I shouldn't be this way, they shouldn't be this way, life shouldn't be this way. And as long as we're stuck in those ideas, there's no room to see clearly what's true. The meditation practice directly gives us an opportunity to cultivate this quality of forgiveness. If we don't, we find ourselves in trouble because there's ample room to complain as you start to meditate, isn't there? To complain or to judge or to somehow think that things aren't quite good enough, that I'm not quite good enough, that it's not quite good enough, 
forgiveness is not saying, well, okay, I'll let it slide this time, but the universe better get itself together. <laughs> There's a quality of, of ease, of opening, and it's magical, isn't it? I'm sure everybody here in this room has had the experience after, being, after holding on to, to something, say, in relationship to somebody and being really at, in pain with it, somehow letting them back in our hearts or opening our hearts to them and letting go of that contraction, there's a kind of freedom. So we're not learning forgiveness so that we can be good guys or good gals and, you know on our way to sainthood, which is a nice aspiration, but for our own peace of mind, our own peace of openness of heart, holding on to that contraction and judgment about ourselves or others. The Buddha talked about it as holding on to a hot coal and not realizing you're the one that's getting burned. So I'm not saying oh, you should really forgive and then everything will be okay. I'm just inviting us to take a look at the pain that comes when we're not able to. And in the meditation practice, it starts with ourselves. There we are sitting on the cushion or on the chair. And most of us, when we take up meditation practice, want to do it well, don't we? We, got, we want to be good Dharma students. We're very sincere. We've perhaps been touched by the teachings, by the Dharma, and we want to honor them. We want to learn to somehow calm our minds down. We want to learn to bring equanimity to the moment. We want to do it right. But as you've probably seen, there's always room for improvement, isn't there? If we have a particular idea of what doing right is, and if you have any kind of a perfectionist streak in you, wanting to do it right, uh, you're going to find Dharma practice uh, a very humbling place. I, it occurred to me uh, a number of years ago, I've seen this perfectionist streak in, in myself, that the best you can do as a perfectionist is break even. Okay? <laughs> you do it perfectly, okay, I did it perfectly that time. What about the next time? You know? You've either done it perfectly and passed or not been perfect and you've blown it. So we need to first take a look and see how we relate to ourselves on the meditation cushion because if we can train ourselves and our hearts to have this quality of a kind forgiveness right here, we are going to have it, uh, those seeds planted for the rest of our lives. So you're sitting here wanting to be mindful, right? Do you ever sit down praying that you'll be mindful? God, please let, let me be mindful, you know. 
they've talked about it. I keep on hearing these Dharma talks about being mindful. It would be lovely to be mindful for more than three breaths. <laughs> and phew, the mind wanders off, doesn't it? How do you respond to that? The typical response is, oh, darn, there I was wandering again. Get back here and do this right. What does that do? All it does is agitate and frustrate and bring discouragement to the meditative process. No points for beating yourself up. In fact, all it does is create more contraction and agitation. Now, here you are doing your best to be present. Can you do any better than your best? But somehow, we think we should do better than we're doing, better than our best. Now, instead of feeling frustrated or discouraged when you realize you've wandered, which for me is the key moment in the meditation practice, the moment that you realize you've been wandering. Because while you're gone, you are gone, right? You might be gone for five seconds, five minutes, 15 minutes. You're gone. Not much you can do about it. But when you realize you've been gone, how you relate to that moment is crucial to the whole practice. If you respond with judgment and frustration, that's what you're cultivating. If you respond with appreciating the fact that you've just come back, oh, here we are again, back in the present. Oh, this is where we're trying to be. Here we are again. Instead of spending time getting down on yourself for having gone, you've just lost out on the opportunity. Ah, here we are again. Great. That response, if you bring it back with that kindness, with that forgiveness, with that, with that intention to be present once again, in that encounter, you are cultivating kindness and forgiveness and presence. So how you deal with that wandering mind is the key. The same opportunity comes as you're sitting and your body might be a little bit uncomfortable. Your shoulder or your knee or your back or whatever it is. How do you relate to your body? Gosh, I wish my shoulder would get itself together. We can get angry at our bodies so easily. And it's so prevalent, not just in this culture, in probably all cultures, but particularly in this one where appearance is so valued, so prized, and all the messages we get from the media point to having perfect bodies. How do you relate to your body when it doesn't cooperate? If you get angry at those muscles that are doing the best to serve you, all you are doing is bringing more contraction and frustration. If instead there can be this appreciation that these muscles are doing the best they can, 
then you're bringing what is the essence of healing to that situation. Because healing doesn't come from scolding our bodies. If you know anything about healing, it's about bringing great kindness and love and forgiveness. So right there in that encounter, it not only keeps us from contracting, but allows us to create the space for whatever release that needs to happen, happen, and to relate to whatever is here in a wise way. So this is the first aspect. On the cushion, noticing our own bodies and our minds and relating to them kindly with forgiveness. The key to forgiveness, as I see it, is understanding the predicament that we're in. Just like the key to forgiving somebody else is understanding the reality that they might have. But understanding our predicament, we are more likely to experience compassion rather than judgment. Uh, An example on a retreat that I did a number of years ago where I, I saw the power of this understanding of the predicament leading to forgiveness. It's a story I sometimes tell on retreats. Um, this is in a, uh, a longer retreat, the, the fall course in, uh, at IMS. This is in uh, 1979. And there I was doing uh, walking meditation, just really getting into it, lifting, moving, placing, and just loving the, the deliciousness of, of the slow walking. It's fun when you get into that mode. And on this particular uh, day, I was all by myself. Nobody was around in the walking room. And I decided to see how slowly I could go, just as a game. Okay. So I was really getting into it. I, just fe- I felt like Marcel Marceau, you know, just so delicious and sweet. And in the middle of this walking, uh, somebody came into the walking room who had just come onto the retreat in those early days. I don't know why they did this, but they tacked on a two-week retreat at the end of a three-month course. And you can really feel somebody's energy when they're coming in from the outside. I knew this was going to look kind of bizarre to this person, right? But I wasn't going to stop my experiment. So I just continued just really crawling, crawling. And after about two minutes, this person bolted out of the walking room (laughs) in what I thought was frustration over the comparing mind. And, And as she went across my field of vision, the thought came to me, wow, I really blew her mind. She must think I'm a great yogi. (laughs) And from that very equanimous, very connected walking, it was like a neon sign. This, it was like I dropped into the, actually the image I had was dropping into this pit hole of ego and presentation and looking good and all of this stuff. And from that slow walking, I 
became like a caged tiger. And I, I actually, I was, I went back and forth. Oh my God, I've been meditating for two months and all this ego, all this yucky image. And I'll never get out of this. You know? And I did that for a couple of minutes. And then it, it occurred to me the, the millions and millions of times I had that response. Because it was just that I saw it more clearly. I was a bit more present and aware that I could see it. And it would normally just pass me by because it would just be so much a part of my reality that I, I saw it in all its you know, glory. Uh, ooh. And then I thought the millions of times I'd practiced that way. And if you believe in more than one lifetime, as I do, countless lifetimes, it just boggled my mind. And in that moment, there was this wave of compassion. What did I think I would unlearn that habit practiced so deeply for so long in a few months of meditation practice? And that moment was a very profound moment for me, realizing I didn't have to get rid of anything. Just seeing that predicament unhooked me from one more layer of judgment that I should be finished with this. The more you can bring forgiveness by seeing your predicament, the more you can truly learn to cultivate kindness, loving kindness, and uh, metta, loving yourself. And learning to love yourself, you know, as, what is that, that song, the greatest, learning to love yourself is the, is the greatest love of all. It really is. Because as you can truly get who you are, then you're not looking outside of yourself for people to validate who you are. And the love becomes something that you can allow to shine through rather than looking to bring in. And so forgiveness is often the, um, the beginning of a loving-kindness practice. In the classical loving-kindness, usually we start with a few moments of forgiveness. And uh, it occurs to me, let's see how far we get, that uh, I thought I wanted, uh, I wanted to touch a little bit on loving kindness towards ourself in this, this talk. It's so hard to do, isn't it? It's one of the, the great mysteries why... It's so hard to feel the love and compassion to oursel- towards ourselves that we would normally extend to most everyone else. Now, let me just ask you, if you met somebody who got your jokes, okay, who um, understood you and really understood your perspective on reality, really got it, 
really got you, understood who you are, how would you feel about meeting somebody like that? I'd be ecstatic, wouldn't you? Now, here's the thing. There is somebody who really understands your reality. You know who that is. (laughs) But somehow, when this person is inside of our own skin, it's not so easy to feel all the love and appreciation that we would have if we met them outside. If you met yourself, I would bet anything you would be so happy to meet your best friend, your new best friend, but somehow when we're inside, it's not as easy. So uh, it, uh, I think I'm going to take a few moments while I'm on this, and maybe we'll get back to some other aspects of forgiveness, to uh, invite you to do a little guided meditation on loving kindness towards yourself. Okay? So close your eyes. Since I don't know how often I, you know, we'll get to be together, I might as well just you know, give you a, one or two things you can take with you and lay it on you. And uh, bring, bring someone into your heart into your, or into your mind who you have a lot of warm feelings for and a, an easy, uncomplicated love for. Not a complicated one, but an uncomplicated. It can be your pet even. It can be a friend. Somebody who you share an easy love with. And imagine they're here with you right now. And feel the love, that special energy that you share. Feel what it is when the two of you connect and you're in the same space, that unique energy that you share together. And as you reflect on this person and the love you share, just imagine that your consciousness can open up to their reality. And if you can play around with this, just imagine that you are inside their head and look out through their eyes and see who it is they see when they're with this person that they love so much. The different qualities that touch them what makes them delight in being with this person. From this perspective, drink yourself in. See who you really are. 
beyond the confusions or the thoughts. Just appreciate this being who touches them so. What is it about you? Now imagine your consciousness can move back into your own body from within your own skin and stay connected with those qualities. Who that is that your friend loves so much and from the inside, let yourself feel it. Just take in for a moment who you really are And from that perspective, wish yourself some kind thoughts of peace, of happiness. And see how it feels to wish yourself well like this. This is a great gift you can give to everyone else, not to be shy about it. Okay, you can gently open your eyes. Could you feel that for a moment? If you did, it probably felt pretty good, didn't it? Congratulations. If you couldn't, it's okay. Just having the intention to incline the mind in that direction is the, is the first step. This is from uh, Marianne Williamson. Perhaps you've heard of this. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, and fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God, Your playing small doesn't serve the world. There's nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconditionally give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. So as you can start to bring some loving kindness to yourself, and as you can learn to forgive yourself for all the confusions and the the flaws and the difficulties that you see, you're more able to connect with others. Because as you do this in here, you see how easy it is for people to get caught in their own reality and you start to see the confusion and the pain that others have. This is from Longfellow. If we could read the secret history of our enemies, 
we should find in each person's life sorrow enough to disarm all hostility. Read that again. If we could read the secret history of our enemies, we should find in each person's life sorrow enough to disarm all hostility. So when we see our own sorrow and our own pain and confusion, it's really important. It's a, it's, it's a very wonderful gift if we can hold it right, if we can hold it skillfully. Oh, yes, this is the human experience. As the Buddha said, in this fathom-long body, the whole of the Dharma, the whole of life is revealed. This is your laboratory to understand this human condition, this human predicament. And the more you understand this mind and body you've been issued, the more you can see how similar we really are. And so forgiving yourself and being kind towards yourself starts to go towards others. Now, it's not always possible to get to that place of forgiveness for others if we've been hurt deeply by them. And I'm not suggesting that you bypass that pain and the grieving and the hurt. It needs to be honored and acknowledged. But slowly to incline the mind to see the pain that comes from holding on, and particularly if you're not yet ready to forgive somebody else, to forgive yourself for being just where you are is a good place to start. And then as we can forgive ourselves and forgive others, the greatest forgiveness of all is forgiving life, forgiving the Dharma, forgiving the natural unfolding of things when it doesn't work out just the way we want, which, as you might have noticed, it often doesn't. How do we respond feeling unfair? If I were running the universe, I'd, much, I'd do a much better job than this, you know, and life better get itself together. Every time we respond in that way, we're not acknowledging the 10,000 sorrows as well as the 10,000 joys. That's the curriculum that we're here on this planet to come to terms with. Not thinking it's supposed to be fair. It's supposed to be right. It's supposed to be whatever it is supposed to be. That's just a, a thought we're imposing on reality. It's not supposed to be anything. It's supposed to be like it is, and we have a choice to either meet it with frustration and contraction and fear or openness and wisdom that can relate and respond with understanding to the moment and not react with attachment, aversion, or confusion, which are the sources of all pain and suffering. So as we can do this, as we can let go of our supposed-to-be's, we let shine through the wisdom, whether you call it the Buddha or the kingdom of God 
or the higher self, we let shine through the wisdom and the love that's here waiting to be discovered, waiting to be heard and felt when that contraction isn't operating. Because as we let go of that contraction, what shines through is our true nature. I think I'll just close here with one of my favorite passages on true nature from Wang Po, the great Zen master. Your true nature is something never lost to you, even in moments of delusion, nor is it gained at the moment of enlightenment. This pure mind, this pure being, the source of everything, shines forever and on all with the brilliance of its own perfection. But the people of the world do not awake to it regarding only that which sees, hears, feels, and knows as mind. Blinded by their own sight, hearing, feeling, and knowing, they do not perceive the spiritual brilliance of the source. If they would only eliminate all conceptual thought in a flash, that source would manifest itself like the sun ascending through the void and illuminating the whole universe without hindrance or bounds. This is who you are. And not having the contraction of judgment or fear get in the way when we can bring forgiveness and kindness to this being and then see it shine through all beings. This is true freedom and the gift that we can, we can give to everyone we know. So um, I did it amazingly and have a few minutes left over for, um, for some time. If there's questions either about the talk or about practice um, before we, we close. When I say I did it, I'm, I'm thinking, wow, there was, sometimes it's hard for me to get into you know, under 40 minutes. So I, I'm kind of you know, feeling okay about myself. question. Um, uh, I think it's really, uh, I think it's useful to explore other practices when you're really, if you found a practice that's yours, to get quite well rooted in it and really understand it. before going around to a lot of different 
things, not necessarily before. You might be in the shopping around stage, which is very useful. But, um, you know, and, and then when you find something, then uh, for me, I, I, what I found was practicing for a number of years in uh, Vipassana and, and not just uh, reading or doing a daily sitting practice, but doing intensive practice and, and, and coming to understand uh, in my own experience, as the Buddha says, when you know for yourself, uh, then being uh, doing other practices um, made me see from other perspectives what I've touched here. So um, that's very, uh, it's very valuable. But all these, uh, all the other practices have made me appreciate that much more deeply what my primary practice is. Because if the, the, the standard Buddhist um, psychology explanation, which is really just naming our predicament, is what's called wrong view. And wrong view is this quality of taking ownership of our experience. That is, our thoughts as we hear them we take them to be who we are. And a lot of the thoughts that come through are not so pleasant. The ones that do come through, we kind of say, okay, well, either that was a fluke or that, uh, that was, uh, that's, that's the way we're supposed to be. But when we take ownership of the thoughts, even saying, hey, that was a really great thought, you know, I hope people see how wonderful I am, or, you know, check it out, you know. <laughs> We're setting ourselves up for when the thoughts aren't so pleasant, when they're coming out of fear or anger or all of those ways that we get caught in responses out of confusion, and we say, oh, my goodness, this is who I really am, not realizing that those thoughts are just coming and going all on their own. And so the meditation practice allows us to not identify with our thoughts, not take them to be who we are. And in that, we then have a choice which thoughts we want to empower and which thoughts we can let, let go by. You know, and, and one thing that I find helpful is to start to listen to the tone of the thoughts. It's a, there's two ways to tune into whether or not to give energy to a thought. The thoughts that come through with a finger wag or with a kind of contraction and frustration or grasping or fear, generally, those aren't the ones to let drive your life. There are other thoughts that come through with a real ease and wisdom and support that say, this feels right or this doesn't feel right. And there's a wisdom and there's a, a kind of connection you know when you feel that, don't you? Not only can you listen to the tone, which is not contracted or agitated, 
but you can feel it in your body. And those are the, the two places that I would start to um, use as a guideline. And the ones that have that agitation, just let them go or just notice, oh, thinking. Or my main practice around that is just asking, what thought am I believing right now when there's a struggle? And wait until there's a connection that says, yeah, this feels right. So um, it's the taking ownership that's, that's the problem. What, what Einstein, Einstein has this, actually, I'll read a quote. He calls it, um, this predicament, an optical delusion of consciousness. Yeah. And this is our task. As Einstein says, a human being is part of a whole called by us universe a part limited in time and space. He experiences himself, his thoughts and feelings as something separated from the rest, a kind of optical delusion of consciousness. This delusion is a kind of prison for us, restricting us to our personal desires and to affection for a few persons nearest to us. Our task must be to free ourselves from this prison by widening our circle of compassion to embrace all living creatures and the whole of nature in its beauty. So, last one. I'm, I'm aware that it's nine, and, uh, and I'm, I'm fine with staying here uh, as long as this people want to ask. Yeah. Uh, in in uh, the current tricycle, there's an article about nonviolence and it says there's two steps to it. And the first part is disarming. If, if there's a, a chance that you may get hurt or, or if there's an abusive relationship or something, the first thing is disarming. And so disarming, disarming the, the, the danger. Uh -huh. The danger. Mm -hmm. And then having a complete open soft heart. And uh, so I was wondering about that with forgiveness, uh, what you were saying about forgiveness. Uh, mm -hmm. Sounds like the second part, but uh, maybe there's a first part. Yeah, forgiveness doesn't mean condoning what's, what's here or what, what's happened. It actually, for me, when I think of understanding the, the pain in the mind of somebody who would hurt, then it really... Um, you're seeing the confusion behind that person's experience. And so what you're forgiving is the confusion, not saying, oh, it's really okay. That's, that's where slipping into that other person's reality and seeing all the causes and conditions that would make somebody do something hurtful um, is is a, an essential step and not being naive, taking care of yourself and the situation and in that forgiving the confusion, you're not reacting with more anger and so there's, there's a possibility for more skillful action because as long as you're coming from a place of anger and, uh, and f it's fear really, then you're, you're making that line of me and that bad guy there 
whereas really the, the villain in the whole puzzle is ignorance, is not seeing clearly. The ignorance that some, and ignorance in the Buddhist sense of not seeing the effects of one's actions, not seeing the pain that, that comes when, uh, when you're causing suffering, pain that comes back to you or pain that you're feeling in your own mind. So it's really taking care of business and then responding uh, wisely out of that understanding and forgiveness. Okay, and actually that allows me one more. This, this quote that I just came across last, last month on violence, it's from Martin Luther King. The ultimate weakness of violence is that it is a descending spiral begetting the very thing it seeks to destroy. Instead of diminishing evil, it multiplies it. Through violence, you may murder the hater, but you do not murder hate. In fact, violence merely increases hate. Returning violence multiplies violence, adding deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. This is just what the Buddha said as well. Hatred never ceases by hatred, only by love. So uh, let's close with a, a short loving kindness and then uh, anyone who wants to can stay. So as you sit here, just feel your own heart and allow that area to soften. And breathe in benevolent energy from around you. All the goodness, there's plenty to share. Just breathe it in through your heart and let it touch your own heart and fill your being. And as you breathe out, surround yourself, radiate these feelings of goodwill. And then a moment of forgiveness. If I've caused suffering to anyone in any way, I ask your forgiveness now. If you can, imagine if there's somebody who comes to mind, imagine them hearing your request and forgiving you. And then extending forgiveness. If anyone has hurt or offended me in any way, I forgive you. I forgive your confusion. If you're not able to forgive, then forgive yourself 
for being just where you are. Or take a moment for anything else that needs forgiveness within you. Maybe your impatience or your fears or whatever it is. What calls for forgiveness right now? And give that to yourself. And then with this first step, clearing our slate a bit with the world, to send some metta towards yourself. Again, reflect on those noble qualities that maybe you got in touch with before. Just appreciate some aspect of who you are. And send some kind thoughts to yourself. May I have happiness in my life. You might imagine, see yourself in a happy moment. May I feel the peace that's inside. And see yourself in a peaceful moment. May I feel my love and share it well. have that image sharing your love well and then from your own being opening up to include everybody here people near you in front and behind you and throughout the room just sharing this field of loving energy and then spreading out throughout this neighborhood, the people and animals and all creatures and throughout this area, and throughout the state and country and all over the planet in all directions. As I want to be happy, so may all beings be happy. As I want peace, may all beings have peace in their lives. As I want love, may all beings feel their love and share it well.
as I want wisdom, may all have the highest wisdom and see their true nature. May all beings everywhere be happy. Thank you very much for your attention. Nice to be with you.